let us say a calf is born dead. By the time the tail crosses a field, it is a calf with two heads. Cross a stream, and it is a calf with two heads, chanting backwards in Latin, and some friar is charging a shilling for a charm against it. This is how British author Hilary Mantel portrays the birth of myths in her novel The Mirror and the Light, the third part of the phenomenal trilogy about the Tudor era. It has been almost 500 years since the time of Henry VIII. We now have computers and smartphones, the internet, news portals and social media networks where information circulates around the globe nearly at the speed of light. But despite all that, despite that today information is accessible to so many of us within seconds, myths are born just as easily. This is the second episode of Literature from Finland podcast. I'm Urte from Helsinki Literary Agency and today we will be discussing the concept of myth as an endless source for human creativity. Nowadays, the word myth has several connotations. Myth is a folktale, a fictitious story told by our forefathers. Myth is a great legend about someone or something that actually existed and became so great that stories about them have transformed along the way. And then myth is a prevailing stereotype, the beginning of which nobody knows or remembers or cares about anymore. Johanny Karela a journalist and the author of Last Autumn's Dark Horse, the novel Fishing for the Little Pike, as well as the child of, without a doubt, the most mythical place in Finland, Finnish Lapland, was so kind to agree to sit down with me and discuss the Finnish myths and myths about Finland. Welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> this is probably the worst word to, <laughs> to choose for a title of, a, of an episode. It's just unpronounceable, but let's... Let's try to get through this. Um, I describe myths as an endless source source for human creativity. But if you think about it, and you think about the nature of myths, they're also an endless showcase of human ignorance, really. So what is your personal relationship with myths? I mean, in the wider sense, if we take biblical myths, the folk stories, the stories, you know, fairy tales from the childhood, Myths from ancient ancient Greece. What is uh, what is your relationship relationship with all of them? I have always loved fairy tales and horror stories, uh, which are based on myths. For me, myths represent the most uh, simple and raw version of a story. I would even say that every single narrative, no matter how sophisticated, is uh, fueled by some kind of a myth. And by a myth, I mean some kind of a strong and persistent belief. Uh, for a storyteller, myths are perfect tools. Uh, myths live in our collective memory. The setup is like it's familiar to everyone. You just have to choose one and add some new people and motives and goals and you have a decent story. Mm. When I was younger, I regarded myself as some kind of a divine rising force from another planet. <laughs> as uh, all of the writers, yeah, I, yeah, I suspect. Exactly. But <laughs> now I understand that, that it's just a foolish idea. 
um, uh, now I think that uh, I just have to apply and use everything, uh, all that junk that has been already invented. For example, in Finland we have this old folk tale about this monster lurking in uh, waters, and the tale is a means for adults to warn children not to go near waters uh, by themselves, for the monster might come and grab your leg and drag you deep down into the into river the water. or bond and eat or you and, yeah, and do exactly. terrible things. Exactly. Um, I heard that in Iceland there is a, this myth about um, about this. There is this mythical creature who, uh, if you're misbehaving before Christmas, it's somehow related to Christmas. I think that if you're misbehaving, this mythical creature comes in. Uh, takes all of your socks and eats all of your socks. socks. Wool socks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that, that's horrible destiny. If someone yeah. would take my socks, I would, oh, oh my God, I really have to <laughs> exactly. behave well. It's just interesting how myths are, like when you, you mentioned this mythical figure, I, I mm. think it's very interesting how they're born and for what reason, really. We, yeah. we have these kind of uh, weird creatures with most peculiar um, tasks, like mm. the creature who eats it sucks. Yeah, maybe it was born in some household where socks were like missing all the time, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not actually really sure if if it was socks or just some like knitted wool wool things, but I, I've heard it from from some knitter who who told me that I, Icelandic people has this has this thing, and I think it's just very somehow very very strange and very cute in in the same way. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's not the monster who eats children, but who steals your clothes <laughs> yeah exactly and that's the thing in with myths also that was a good word to use the cute they are at the same time like old fairy tales they are like horrible but also very cute <laughs> maybe because they are uh, told for uh, children but yeah i was talking about this uh, naki who is lurking in the waters and in my uh, my new book, I took this Naki, but instead of presenting it as some kind of a hideous monster, I made it uh, this alien-like evil mastermind. So it's an old myth, but just a little modification, and it's something new. And I think writers do this all the time. Yeah. It's actually very... Another thing that came to my mind from what you're talking about is something that I had uh, trouble when I was younger and tried to be a writer maybe at some point and I got disappointed by the by the craft because I thought that all the stories are written already so this is something I think very interesting when we talk about myths because myths as you said in the beginning they're something that has been told and retold so many times and if we take like Finnish national myth you know Karavala mm. that has been uh, reproduced in so many ways and so many times and do you think that you can, I mean, that there is some limit point where, where you know, everything is told and, and you can't get out um, any anything new anymore or anything interesting uh, out of, like, certain topics or certain, certain myths, for that matter? I don't think so, because all the time, uh, new books and movies and this kind of fiction is written and made and the message in them or the storylines, they are the same. They are repeating the same thing again. Like in Hollywood movies, you can really find the same, really the same pattern. But it's 
It's when you have the different director or different writer and different voice. Different voice telling the same story. It's suddenly somehow it's different. When the same story is uh, like uh, told by another person, it somehow gets new colors or new meanings in a way that it's hard to explain how. But I'm... I'm relying on that. <laughs> so nowadays I, I really I steal everything that has been made before and I just put some new decoration that I like yeah. on them and give it and yeah. You're <laughs> definitely way way much wiser and and, <laughs> and uh, smarter than me because I just got it disappointed into the whole thing and then I started translating books instead of <laughs> <laughs> writing them. But, but I had that idea also. I had that phase where I was thinking that this is this is no use but then I got this new idea and now I I'm much more I don't know relieved <laughs> that's that's very true I also mentioned that uh, you are the child of Lapland which is a um, very northern part uh, part of, of Finland and uh, the, the most northern part of Finland and also quite mythical. Um, up until the 70s and 80s, uh, this cultural gap between Finnish north and Finnish south was huge, uh, just uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly big and, and quite extreme. And um, even today, there are a lot of Finnish people, and let alone foreigners, who have never been to, to north or, or, or Lapland, um, and never visited those places. And so there has always been a lot of room for certain exoticism and uh, mythology and, you know, stories that get told about the places that you've never been to, uh, but you still get to tell these stories and, and kind of pass them along um, from, from generation to, to another. Um, so... In your opinion, have these myths uh, rather benefited um, the the north of Finland and and Finland in general? Because I think that what Finnish people often think about northern parts of Finland, foreigners think the same things about Finland in general as you know, like ultimate north uh, of Europe and and the world, <laughs> really. So so how do you think it affected all this all this um, exoticism and and this mythology? Um, just the uh, the impression, and and is it is it something that's good or something that's actually harmed uh, those parts of of, of um, the country? Mm, yeah, myths are great tools for a writer, but in real life, yeah, they can be really annoying. <laughs> for example, I have I'm from Lapland, I and I I'm so tired telling people that uh, I'm not super tolerant of cold i do get uh, i have cold fingers during summer <laughs> like, <laughs> and you I, need clothes during winter exactly <laughs> i'm not a some kind of a penguin or a, or a polar bear or live in a, i didn't spend my childhood in a uh, snow cave or something like that we didn't, didn't? have no, yeah and we didn't have reindeers my okay my best friend had reindeers but it doesn't mean everyone <laughs> is having one um yeah, I, I think it's it's a benefit and and yeah and an annoying thing also. Uh, myths are great tools also to sell things. I think many people come to Finland because they have heard some le- legends and stuff. And of course, when tourists come here and in Lapland, 
and people there tried to give back the image they ha- they got uh, abroad like they want to see rangers they want to meet santa claus and Lapland. They want to see snow and sleep exact- in the snow caves. Exactly, and have these husky rides. So people are giving that. They okay. don't want to uh, know the real life, I guess. Right, right. No, that's that's very true, and that's that's why I ask. What do you like? How? I mean, how annoying it gets, really, uh, in the in the end, in the in the real life. But then again, um, so what do you think? Are the most you mentioned reindeers and then coldness, which is, uh, of course, huge myths about Finland in general. But what do you think are like the most prevailing myths about Finnish people and and northern uh, northern Finnish people and and the most truth? Mm, I can confirm that people in Lapland in general don't talk that much. But there is even differences even inside Lapland, uh, and maybe okay, even is a, a wrong word here. Of course, there are differences because Lapland is it, it is a huge area. Um, I think they in Western Lapland people talk a bit more, and uh, in the east where I come from, people can be very short sentenced and blunt in their uh, way of speaking and when people come from like southern Finland to eastern Lapland they might consider it quite rude that people are so rude here I have heard that kind of things but uh, that uh, that's not at least always the case it's yeah. just the way and culture to be and talk right right and I actually read just read or or heard you say recently that you after you came to live to Helsinki you kind of learned to speak more and that your mother who still lives in 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 Lapland she was kind of saying to you why can you just shut up for a little yeah. bit and why you're talking so much literally yeah like <laughs> shut up for a while because yeah our phone calls are like I don't know Uh, we don't share that much emotions or that kind of stuff, and I have I have started to school my educate my my folks up there that uh, I I share my emotions and stuff. And something sometimes it's too much. <laughs> Even when when we meet, I sometimes might like hug them, and that is like very uh, very new thing for my mother mother and father. But I think they are getting used yeah. to it. Yeah, actually, this is something that uh, I've been thinking a lot in, you know, in the context of Corona, that why Finland maybe don't have that many cases is also that in Finland, generally, people are just social distancing all the time. It's it's uh, we do that a lot. And and things like hugging or kissing people is not they're They're just not that common. And that's social distancing is yeah. not a torturing practice. That's that's so true. <laughs> but um, another very powerful myth i think um when we talk about finland is this is what we call it here in finland we call it suomikumma which can be kind of loosely translated into finnish weird or or finnish quirky and it's this myth about finland being 
rather odd country with rather odd people living in it um with where you know most bizarre things i mean for many people even sauna and going completely naked to sauna is a very bizarre and, and unusual thing so these kind of bizarre things um can happen um so where do you think it all started is it is it um Purely the impact of Tove Jansson, for instance, who is uh, very famous all around the world for her mooming, mooming characters and uh, who are kind of a bit weirdos <laughs> and, and, and kind of philosoph very philosophical at the same time, but there are these strange creatures. Or, or is there something more to it? I've never uh, attached the concept of Suomi Kumbatu Tove Jansson And wasn't it Johanna Sinisalo who invented the whole concept some years ago? Um, I don't. I don't think Finnish people are uh, uh, that odd. Uh, for me, the the whole label Suomikuma it's uh, it can be very misleading, and people are using it quite loosely. So, uh, I so how do you understand it, Suomikuma? How do I? How do you understand, understand the it? label? Yeah. Well, it's it, it's a means to talk about a certain kind of books like Johannes Inisalos and Pasi Ilmari Jääskeläinen and J.P. Koskinen, Anne Leinonen. It's kind of a name for a genre, yeah. if I pronounce it right. Right. Um, but I I think it's mostly it's it's a tool for marketing, I guess. I don't know. How do you feel? Is it is it good label to put on the book and go to the book fair and people are oh this is Suomikumma, let's buy well, it. Well, this is this is the thing that I've been thinking about a lot. Which you know, which one was first, Egor or Egor? It's chicken. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, that we first invented invented this label and then we kind of started selling it to to abroad, or is it something that people? Because I do feel that foreigners. Uh, especially if we talk about literature, I, th I feel that foreigners often expect uh, oddness from Finnish literature. They they some they want something. I mean, I understand that when people um, want to read foreigner foreign literature from other countries, from small countries, they want something you know something particularly different. something different. Exactly what you can't get in you know English market or 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 Western Western literature in general, uh, but with Finland in particular because it, it is so different. It's not really Scandinavian. It's not really you know um, not the same as Icelandic. They're just it's just this little part in the north which is so different. I and I I really often feel that um, people do expect strangeness and oddness from from Finns and from the Finnish literature I, I feel that so I'm just not sure which uh, who were the first ones mm. to start that <laughs> that trend yeah and that can be uh, quite I don't know disappointing or like narrowing the the thing if people just are waiting for something odd and when thinking Finnish literature I think it's not odd at all we have been writing a lot about war and history and very our tradition is very realistic and yeah. when thinking like i don't know us or britain literature there the oddness is much more richer there <laughs> so it's weird that they are expecting something new from here because i think we are in general i don't know 
quite, I don't want to say boring, but <laughs> realistic. Right. Down to earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that, that's that's good one. Yeah. But, well, now, now you're saying that uh, your literature is very, very, uh, has very realistic um, tradition, which I kind of agree. But now if we get to your book in particular, you're kind of, you know, contradiction to yourself i mean myth uh, is one of the central axes in your debut novel fishing for the little pike um and the novel has been so successful in finland and, and abroad really in sweeping up the awards and 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 getting all all, all the most sincere um sympathies from from the readers and i completely agree with them um so in the book um, there's this young woman who is kind of the main protagonist and she's called Elena and she travels to Lapland with this mysterious mission um, every year to fish this pike. Um, and not only she encounters all these strange, mischievous creatures that uh, sometimes make everybody else's life quite quite difficult, um, uh, but this time she's also chased by this police officer who comes from from the big city, from the south. And this is where your take on on myth and and on Lapland reality, I guess, and these kind of stereotypes is, is getting really humorous and and. Uh, it has so many of these absurd, really funny elements. I mean, in the dialogues, but but also in these kind of small details, like this partner of the police officer who who shoots himself in the leg just because he doesn't want to go to to this horrible part of the world called Lapland. So he instead decides that he 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 would rather shoot himself in the leg. So could you elaborate a little bit, especially now that you talk about uh, realism tradition in 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 Finland? How is this? Um, how was the mythology of your book um, born, and and how did you kind of develop this kind of world? And where do these stories and these monsters and and the absurd um, come from? Is it like very direct influences, uh, or I don't know, stories from from childhood or or childhood sort of landscape, and or maybe it's something that actually came to my mind only very recently. Uh, maybe it's like a metaphor to to something that is actually happening. Uh, first of all, I want to say that, okay, I say I said I used the word boring, but I really like realistic uh, narratives, and I want to feel that, I want to think that also my book, it has e- its roots deep down in the uh, Finnish uh, realistic, uh, down-to-earth uh, uh, way to tell things. I wanted to make a bond with uh, very down-to-earth realism and this fantasy, uh, yeah, like young adult fantasy even. Um, the beginning of uh, of the book, it started the way that I happened to play this uh, very good uh, video game called Witcher. At the time, I thought I want to write something about Lapland. Um, and the game is about uh, this monster hunter who gets paid for killing dangerous creatures. And those creatures live in the same cities and villages and towns that than normal people. And they also have uh, these complicated uh, agreements, the monsters and the people, uh, just that they can get along. But some sometimes something bad happens and you have to call the uh, monster hunter who... <laughs> <laughs> who does the job, and 
Uh, and then a few years before this, uh, I had read this uh, uh, great Estonian novel uh, called um, what, what was the name? Uh, it's no- by November. Right, right. Yeah, I, I I had written it somewhere, but I cannot find it now. Uh, by Andrus Kivirak, and these two artworks, this video game and this novel made some kind of a bond or alliance in my head, and then I suddenly realized which kind of book I want to write, where uh, weird creatures and normal people are living together, and and what comes after that. Um but uh, yeah, uh, after after that, I started to dig out the Finnish folklore, and it was like finding this bottomless uh, treasure box, funny names and uh, ridiculous creatures and stuff. And I especially I took the names, but I altered everything. I didn't want to make a scientific study of certain Finnish folklore. I made everything up. The names were so great, like Hyhäröinen or Hittolainen, and they are so funny. So I just took them and invented everything else. Um, also, also, I have to add that uh, you were saying that this symbol symbolism of this mythology, I do feel that the landscape in Lapland, it's so empty, there are so few people, but the atmosphere or mentality is somehow thick. It, it it's uh, hard to explain, but there is so much beneath in the normal life. So I wanted to uh, sh- make the, those things visible and create these concrete uh, monsters to represent the I don't know, yeah, weirdness and this uh, lapish culture. Absolutely, absolutely. And now, when I asked about the metaphors, so so. Um, is there um, certain metaphors to some real life phenomenon in in your book, or is it is it just like sort of I- imagi- imagination? I don't want to say because, <laughs> and I don't want to kind of um, you know uh, say in advance. But I was it's just something that came to me quite recently because I read it more as a, like this mythology and kind of fantasy book and then just quite recently maybe because of everything that's happening in the world I started thinking about it in those mm, in different terms so would you say that there you don't have to reveal um, what kind of metaphors there are but yeah I, I can reveal that uh, <laughs> uh, in Laplace I think people uh, are very I don't know Maybe you know how to say this in English, but you know the word hötkylemätön. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yep. it's it's about that when you see something odd or weird, you don't like freak out. You yeah. are just uh, okay. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this mentality into life, in the way that okay, in the book there comes this police officer to North and uh, she meets these weird uh, creatures and really gets freaked out and then the local people they're like okay they're just carrying the conversation (laughs) there's this imp in my kitchen eating my food but you know this happens (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and okay my cousin drowned into the river and now it he came to life and tries to eat you but you know that can happen too so 
I really wanted to like represent this kind of attitude yeah. towards yeah. life. I think it's uh, the word probably closest in fin- in English is maybe unfazed or or something like that that mm. you don't get. Yeah, you just uh, take everything as sort of um, as normal everyday everyday events events. And I think in some ways it's quite a healthy healthy way of thinking and I it think helps that too. going through life. Um also nature is uh, I mean it's a big part of of your of your novel and I would say that nature is also the ultimate um, kind of myth um, and source of myths for for Finnish people and it's it's so such an inseparable part of of Finnish people's life and and so important and so legendary also abroad and I mean even statistically every second Finnish person I think it's every second Finnish person has a cabin somewhere in the woods yeah. so it's this relationship with nature is just you know, is really mythical and uh, and it's also a big part of art of, of literature of everyday life um, and you so you have long lived now in Helsinki in the capital of Finland and you quite recently became a father and uh, not that long ago you wrote this very moving essay about um, about the fear that your son who is still very small um, will grow up Uh, because he's born and will be raised in the city he will he will grow up to be a completely different person than you are and kind of almost even a stranger to you and to your world because you grew up in the middle of nowhere and kind of surrounded by nature and and woods and tundra and lapland and reindeers and uh, it's it's something that was just so you know so present in everyday life that you don't even think about it so Do you think that Finns, um, just as the rest of the world, are kind of losing touch with nature? And and if if so, can we say that it's also losing touch with with your own roots? And if if Finnish people lose touch with or that that specialty in relationship with nature, is it um, what what else is there left? What what are we? What can we base our identity on? And and what is sort of the base for? for mythology that is a good question <clears throat> and yeah i'm worried about how things are turning out we lose massive amounts of animals fish uh, birds insects every day and fishing for the little pike is kind of a cry for help for that matter i wanted to celebrate biodiversity the magnificent structure of mosquito Um, and I wanted to fill the landscape with uh, with uh, creatures and spirits to put more to put more life into it because the landscape is kind of getting empty. In the book, I have the scene where I describe where birds are flying all over the place, mm-hmm. but it's not like that anymore. When I go back home to Lapland, uh, there are not so many birds anymore. I even notice it in my lifetime and I'm quite young um, and I do think that we have kind of lost the connection with the nature maybe for good but uh, we want to but we still want to imagine it Be- as you described the nature is uh, 
nature concept in in everyday life in, a, in like in every way and i do think that okay we might lose the environment and stuff i, I don't have so high hopes for the how we are going to stop climate climate change or anything but even if we have this one tree left somewhere i think people want to create some kind of a they want to create odd beliefs and some kind of a i don't know even religion around it because people still always reach for the nature and uh, do you yeah. think that it's all only in finland or or people everywhere that they that still this kind of I don't know that the longing for for some sort of uh, mythology is 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 there all the time. Even I mean, okay, nature is probably not maybe that present um, somewhere else, uh, especially in the b- big kind of um, old Western civilizations and big cities. But but uh, what you're describing now, it's for me, it's kind of this longing for some sort of story. Yeah, yeah, and we are like longing the origin where we come from. We come from the woods. We come from the nature <laughs> that right. we are now uh, losing. And the myth about Finns like uh, being in bond with the nature, I think it's a myth for ourselves too, and we believe into it. So if that's the, that's kind of a again, it's some kind of a marketing label maybe uh, through the world. So. I guess uh, people from big cities might come to Finland to find some kind of a real nature or something, and we will give them to, we'll we'll we will give it to them, even if we have only that one tree left. <laughs> like everything's relative. If we have one tree, and in other places there are no trees, we we're we are, still the, yeah, the nature we, country. <laughs> I, I, exactly. <laughs> that's that's a very again very I think very good good attitude and kind of good point that you were making um uh, and we kind of uh, already described a little bit but i still want to ask um, for for the ending about the m- place of myth in our everyday life and uh, how do you do you think that myths have have a place in our daily daily lives and and what kind of place it is um, i think that myths are kind of models of actions that we use they are present in everyday life we are all the time repeating the old actions and hmm, how should i put it uh, myths are the fuel of the of stories and we uh, use stories a lot we read we watch we read books and watch movies and we sometimes i feel like we live in in the stories And the and the stories they are very comforting. And I think that why stories are comforting is that the stories reach. Uh, they come from the origin of the humankind. So the story is bigger than us. So it gives us. Uh, it is comforting to lean on some greater than uh, us ourselves. Right. Right. This is um, just very beautiful and, and and very, I think, very accurate and and somehow very philosophical <laughs> answer to 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 a very small question. Um, for the end, I have three um, essential and very literary questions. Um, 
which author you're following on social media and why? Uh, I'm follow- in Twitter. I follow Vilja Tuulia Huotarinen because she is such a great poet. Yes, yes, she is. She is, and and actually also a um, prose writer. She 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 has done Two. some incredible incredible. Um, That's true. Work. If you had to choose which author, alive or dead, uh, you uh, invite for a dinner, uh, which one it would be? First, I thought Dan Brown because I've met him once and he is such a nice fellow. But then I have to, I have to say Cormac McCarthy because he is hands down the best goddamn writer in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah and what is the best advice that you have ever received um, that do not fear anything but it is very hard for me to follow because i get uh, i get scared very easily i was just about to ask how how, how easy it is to follow this kind of advice in, in life yeah. thank you Johanny karela this was uh just wonderful conversation and this was literature from finland brought to you by helsinki literary agency and hosted by me urte and special thanks to petri latvala for the design and alessandro danna for the music and to colleagues urpo vivi and kai and tune in next month